And Lord, I do pray that as we see that um, your people are being threatened and surrounded uh, by the enemy, that Lord, that in our own lives, we know that that takes place. In our own lives, we see that the enemy comes against us and bullies us and threatens us. And we need to be encouraged tonight. And I pray that that would happen here. That Lord, that you'd bless this Bible study and Lord, that we would be attentive to the things that you want to share and, and uh, for us to make application and how you want to touch our hearts. So, Lord, we look forward to, to what you have for us in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys remembered a New Year's Eve prophecy update that um, I told you that uh, I would update you on uh, things that I felt you know, were significant that were taking place in light of what we talked about, in light of the scriptures, um, you know, as we discussed a lot of things on New Year's Eve, I taught for a long time, almost an hour and a half, and there are a lot of things going on in the world that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And since then, there's been a number of things that have happened um, that have kind of um, come to, to um, the forefront uh, even today, and I think some significant things are taking place. Uh, in the Middle East that perhaps you haven't even seen in our own news. Uh, it's just starting to trickle out even tonight. And, uh, and I want to back up a little bit because we know that the Middle East is very volatile with the situation in Egypt. It seems like they're rioting all the time. There's very much unrest. Um, there's a state of emergency in Egypt. Uh, we're finding out that the new president of Egypt, uh, Morsi, he is one uh, that has been recorded as saying that he sees the Jews as nothing more than pigs and monkeys, and they should be exterminated. And so that tension is there in what's going on in Syria. And we just kind of touched on those things in Syria. Uh, we get news reports, and we know that there is a concern, and one of the concerns is that uh, Syria very much has chemical weapons. That is well known. Uh, they have a large arsenal of chemical weapons and biological weapons. And the concern is with the civil war, if those weapons uh, fall out of the hands of you know, the, the present Syrian government and falls into the hands of the rebels or whoever, if those weapons could end up in the hands of Hezbollah, or some terrorists. Hezbollah is a terrorist organization that is stationed in southern Lebanon. Matter of fact, in 2006, uh, in the Second Lebanese Wars, what they call that, it was Hezbollah that fired many missiles into the cities uh, of Israel. And now it is believed that uh, they came to a ceasefire at that time, and uh, the UN was going to put observers to, you know, kind of try to, to observe things and hold the peace. But it is well known that Hezbollah has been um, receiving weapons from Iran via Syria. And so, um, as well as we know that um, the concern with Iran, as President um, uh, Ahmadinejad continues to um, dodge the issue of negotiations or um, saying that we're not uh, developing our nuclear technology for weapons, it's for peaceful purposes. The West knows and Israel knows that they're stalling, getting ever so closer to developing nuclear weapons. And so it is uh, very much something that we're watching very carefully. And it's interesting, do any of you guys, that are, some of us that are a little bit older, do you remember uh, Henry Kissinger? Do you remember him? He was the Secretary of State in the Nixon administration. He was probably the most famous Secretary of State that, um, in, in U.S. history. And Dr. Kissinger 
a very, very fascinating man. He's 89 years old, and he was seen as probably the man that stopped uh, a nuclear uh, exchange in the Middle East in 1973. You see what happened that in the Yom Kippur War, and that's uh, where Syria and Egypt and, um, and the Arab forces attacked Israel, Syria from the north, and um, from the south, uh, Egypt came, and they broke through the lines, and they were coming down, actually, the Syrian army, down the Golan Heights to the Sea of Galilee, and their tanks were coming down, and as, as you read the stories, and it's all documented, that all of a sudden they stopped. They were confused. Egypt broke up through the um, Sinai, started coming up, was headed towards Tel Aviv, and they stopped. They couldn't figure out why they had broken through. Israel, they were caught off guard. It was Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. Um, and all of a sudden, they're scrambling to try to get their forces up there and their tanks up there with the Syrian had a massive tank invasion. Same with Egypt. It looked like that Syria was, uh, and Egypt were going to break through and then kind of squeeze Israel and come into Israel and, um, and destroy Israel and do Israel in. At that time, a lot of people don't know that a phone call was from the Prime Minister of Israel to President Nixon saying, we're about ready to go under, can you please help us? And at that time, when Europe said no, they closed all their air bases to any of the U.S. forces coming in to refuel or anything, and the United States had to go through other ways, but Henry Kissinger would make a way for us to begin to bring weapons and, and help Israel from them going under. At the same time, what Israel did is they went into what is called the Samson option. The Samson option, you know, the book of Judges, Samson, you know how he was in the end of the book. He took those pillars and he pushed on it and they came down, took out the enemy. That's the Samson option. In other words, what they did is they began to get their nuclear weapons ready. And as they got their nuclear weapons ready, uh, a phone call was coming to the President of the United States um, and Russia uh, was calling the president, and, um, and all this was going on. It was very intense. Um, you guys know that um, the NORAD, you've heard of NORAD, where they, they uh, keep track of all the missiles and everything that is out there. And uh, it was in the mountain, in Cheyenne Mountain. And about 20 years ago, uh, I was in that mountain. We had a guy that was in our church that was a captain that, that worked in uh, the command center of NORAD. And he took us in, and uh, Pastor Chuck and some of us, and it's long since left Cheyenne Mountain and is located somewhere else, um, you know, and they've dismantled a lot of that in Cheyenne Mountain. But at that time, it was there, and they took us in that uh, command room where the generals would sit around the table, and it was covered, and they said, pull out that drawer, and Pastor Chuck kind of pulls it out, and he, there was a phone there, and he says, that's the phone that calls the President of the United States. And that phone has been used twice in history, once during the Cuban Missile Crisis, the second time during the Yom Kippur War. And what had happened is Israel went to the Samson option, got their nuclear weapons ready, and said, if we're going to go down, we're going to take everybody with us. And what they did was God worked a miracle to where those forces had stopped, and all of a sudden Israel began to regain ground. And you can almost, it's, and again, documented, and you can uh, hear documentaries and read books on it, 
that there were David-like heroics that were going on, like one man who he had his tank up there and um, the, the, he confused the Syrian you know, uh, battalion of tanks that they thought there was a whole company of tanks coming at him and he'd go up a hill and shoot and hit a Syrian tank and come down and come up and, and, and they were very confused. God was working. So they started to gain ground and they started pushing the Syrians back to the north, the Egyptians back down and actually crossed uh, the Nile River, the Suez Canal and into Egypt, in the mainland. And Israel at that time was saying, we're tired of this, we're going to go to Cairo, and we're going to go to Damascus. So Russia calls up President Nixon and says, you put an end to it, or we're going to put an end to it. And we almost, what we saw was what Ezekiel 38 talks about at that time, very, very close. So when we hear about President Nixon, you know, he's uh, you know, associated with Watergate and everything, but... Um, many believe that he actually stopped World War III from going and happening at that time. So that was the Yom Kippur War. That's why you have places like the Golan Heights, which is that high ground that is in the news and, and, and um, everything else. During that time, there's been negotiations, peace with Egypt. They, uh, Israel gave back the Sinai Peninsula, and, and all this is going on. And um, now we have a different fronts that are going on. You have the Gaza, you have the West Bank, you have Hezbollah, the terrorist group up in southern Lebanon. So all this is going on. But Henry Kissinger, he very much knows what's going on in that area. And um, a couple weeks ago, he was at a, uh, um, a um, conference, a World Economic Forum, and they were interviewing him. He's 89 years old. And he said this, uh, that he told the World Economic Forum in Switzerland that um, as the, he's a Nobel Peace uh, Prize winner as well, is warning that the United States and Israel are very close to facing a crisis with the nuclear arming Iran. The 89-year-old Kissinger told the forum that such a crisis of full-fledged atomic war would be a turning point in human history. He said a few years ago, people, will, in a few years that is, people will have to come to a determination of how to react of the consequences of non-reaction. I believe this point will be reached in a very foreseeable future, he added. In other words, he says, there's going to be consequences because we haven't reacted in a way that we should have against Iran. So he talked about the danger of Iran uh, becoming a nuclear-armed nation, um, that it's going to be a turning point in our history. We are right now, because we're... Um, very much focused in our own nation, our news media about gun control and confirmations of uh, cabinet members and the Super Bowl and all of this. Um, we're not really paying attention to some of the things that are taking place in the Middle East. This is leading up to what I want to tell you what happened last night. So here we have a new Secretary of Defense that is questioned. Is he pro-Israel or is he against Israel? Um, but he's warning that the... the um, timetable and the window of negotiation with Iran is quickly, quickly running out, and, um, and we need to act fact on it. And there is going to be severe and growing consequences um, if we don't stop them from getting a nuclear weapon. So that's one point, Iran, becoming a problem. One of the things that also that I think that we don't clearly understand is how much uh, of a problem Syria is right now with this civil war. And um, Israel had elections. Uh, President uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has been reelected 
but his political party has been weakened. And uh, so the focus has been on that. There's been analysts saying that he's not going to be able to, um, you know, really do anything against Iran. He's weakened and all of this. Um, but we're, you know, I think being a little bit uh, presumptuous on uh, the determination of Israel and Israel coming together when they are f- uh, threatened. So there's been some stirring in the last week or so. If you read some of the Israeli newspapers, some of the reports in the Middle East, and, and what had happened is, you remember in the Gaza, um, it was firing uh, missiles into uh, Israel in the end of um, November into December. And I fired, I don't know how many, a couple thousand rockets into Israel. And they had the defense uh, missile, uh, the Iron Dome, that they had that you saw them go up and, and intercept the missiles. If it wasn't for that newly developed missile defense system that Israel put up, it would have been a lot, lot worse for Israel. So all of a sudden, they're moving these iron domes up to the border, the northern border, in the last week. And people are asking, why are you doing this? And the government is saying, it's just routine. We're just doing this. Well, all of a sudden, Iran's coming out and saying that any attack against Syria is an attack against us. Normal rhetoric and stuff. Benjamin Netanyahu on Tuesday, what he does is he continued to warn the world on Monday of the potentially devastating outcome if Syria's chemical arsenal falls into the hands of rebels or worse, Hezbollah, as Lebanese media outlets reported that the Lebanese terror group had already obtained some chemical weapons and long-range missiles. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who on Sunday met with a delegation from the U.S. House of Representatives, led by Representative Rob Whitman, expressed his concern over the developments in Syria and said that the outcome facing Israel was bad, bad, and worse. The Prime Minister was brief on the Syrian situation over the weekend, and multiple meetings were held to discuss possible options. This morning as we woke up, some of the Israeli newspapers, I don't know if you guys were reading it, that all of a sudden there was a military attack inside of Syria by Israeli Air Force. And Israel won't say anything about it. They keep quiet. They're not going to say, they just said, we're going to defend our country. But what the reports are coming out is simply this, that there was... Something going on, reports of Israeli um, fighter jets going into Lebanon. Um, And they were there for about 16 hours. And so they assumed there was some military operation going on. Reports on the ground and some of the news media said that a weapons convoy was destroyed on the uh, north side of Mount Hermon uh, on the Lebanese and Syrian border. And that convoy, they're not sure what was in it, but advanced weapons were in that convoy going from Syria to Hezbollah, anti-missiles or anti-aircraft missiles, uh, ground-to-air anti-aircraft missiles, anti-tank missiles, SA-17s. They're Russian-made, very advanced. And and so they're wondering, was there any chemical weapons involved in that convoy? Reports started coming out later tonight, um, this evening, before we had service, that another target was hit near Damascus, and Syria is admitting that a military research center was hit. People on the ground, uh, local residents, are saying that's a chemical weapon plant that Israel has just destroyed. 
So things are escalating very, very much right now. I used to do a thing when, um, you know, in a small group that I was teaching, I, I used to call it, you heard it here first at Calvary Chapel. So you heard it here first at Calvary Chapel. You're going to start hearing some of these reports when you get up in the morning, some of them starting to come out. But our news media is usually a day or two behind these things. You're saying, so what, Pastor Jeff? They're always doing that. There's always military conflicts. This has got a potential to really escalating. And one of the things that we know that Isaiah chapter 17 talks about, that Damascus will be destroyed. And what is interesting is Damascus boasts, if you want to go to Damascus for whatever reason, they will send you, you know, their tourist information saying and boasting that Damascus is the longest continuous city in the world. It's not the oldest city, but it's the longest continuous city. In other words, it has been there and never been destroyed. You go to Jerusalem, Jerusalem has been destroyed some 16 times and rebuilt. Damascus hasn't. The Bible talks about a time when Damascus will become a ruinous heap. We don't see Syria, Damascus mentioned in the Battle of Armageddon. We don't see it mentioned in the War of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel chapter 38. We don't see it mentioned being destroyed in Psalm 83. Now, it doesn't mean that it, can, it doesn't happen at that time, but we don't know when it's going to be destroyed. So some of the things uh, that we're looking at, is it possible that somehow Damascus is destroyed um, and that would lead to the events of Psalm 83 and then eventually Ezekiel 38. So this has the potential to really start to escalate. And so we need to be watching and we need to be ready. We need to be able to look at Scripture. And, um, and to me, it's, it's, we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and, uh, but also uh, we need to be ready because there is going to be a catastrophic war that's going to take place in the Middle East. And, um, and how it's going to begin with Psalm 83, um, that's going to lead to um, Ezekiel 38. Only God knows for sure, but those things are going to come to pass, and Damascus eventually will be destroyed, a ruinous heap. One thing that we'd never considered with Assad being pressured, and it looks like his government's going to go down. In his desperation, it is, is he going to try to get those weapons to Hezbollah or himself, go against Israel, or, or will he destroy Damascus himself? See, everybody assumes when you read that that it's going to be Israel that's going to destroy Damascus. doesn't say that. Could it be a sod in desperation that he ends up destroying Damascus? So very significant things that are going on. And so keep watching. Occupy. The Lord is coming back. And uh, we'll update you. But I thought you might find that interesting uh, because the news is just now starting to trickle out. And I believe it's very significant what's going on um, in the events. Israel's being more and more isolated and it's becoming more and more dangerous for Israel. And we, as we go into our text, we see that it was 2,700 years ago that Israel, once again, the house of Judah, was being threatened, wasn't it? So that's what we're going to read about in chapter 19 here is we know that at this time it was the Assyrians, the Assyrians up north, as we read in chapter 18. And, of course, the Assyrians are the, the most powerful empire on 
the face of the earth right now at this time. It's about 715 B.C. The ten northern tribes were taken off into captivity. That happened in 722 B.C. But actually, that captivity began about 11 years before that in 733 B.C. And what happened was, you remember that when Moses came to the border of the Promised Land, and he's, he's getting ready, they're going to go cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land to drive out the Canaanites and take possession of the land. But while they're there in the hills of Ammon and the hills of Moab, as you stand in the Jordan River and you look to the east, that's Jordan today. But there's the hills of Ammon, the hills of Moab. And when they're up there waiting to come down to the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land, it was a tribe of Gad, it was a tribe of Reuben, and half of the tribe of Manasseh that said, we really like it up here on this high hill. We like the grass here. We have cattle. We want to, to have this as our inheritance. And at first, Moses was very upset about that. And he said to the Lord, you know what? They're more concerned about their cattle than they are about their calling. That's kind of the interpretation that I have as Moses would go to the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, they can have that inheritance, but only their men are to come and help you take the promised land. So they, they looked at it. They said, this is good. We're going to prosper. We're going to have our cattle up here. So that's where that two and a half tribes was on the east side of the Jordan River. You say, so what? Here's the thing. They were the first ones to go off into captivity. They were isolated from the rest of the tribes that were there in Israel as they received their inheritance. You see that. They, they were ones that um, were weakened because they were isolated. And one of the things that the enemy will try to get you to do is to try to isolate you. And one way is, is that you get very concerned about your cattle rather than about your calling that God has for you. And that can happen to any one of us. Lord, I don't have time to go into the promised land, that, that life of abundance and blessing that God has for us because I'm so concerned about you know, the cattle that I have and maintaining that. And what happens is the enemy is very good. We become a little bit isolated. And they were the first ones that were picked off. And I just want to remind you that we need to be careful of that, that we don't get so concerned about the things of this world that we forget that the Lord desires for us to keep our focus on him, to live to where he's the priority. And there's strength in that. Well, anyway, they all go off into captivity. So here it is later that the Assyrians flexing their muscles are coming into J Judah. And Jerusalem's about the only place that's left to, to capture the capital of Judah. And we saw that it was the Rabshakeh, who is the commander-in-chief uh, of the army. He comes, and he's given a message to Hezekiah. His, his guys are up there uh, on the wall, and the Rabshakeh, he's there. He's speaking on behalf of the king of Assyria. And you recall that in chapter 18, he's threatening Judah. He's threatening Jerusalem. He's saying, who is Hezekiah? to tell you to trust in the Lord. Who is Hezekiah to say that, that your God is going to deliver you? Your God can't deliver you. And he, he is the king of Assyria mocking Judah and the people that are there saying surrender. And God has told me to come and defeat you, to destroy this city. So we saw the tactic of the enemy, and whenever we find ourselves in a situation where we feel like the, the Assyrians are surrounding us, in our circumstances or situations, the enemy is, is really coming down on us. And you see, the Assyrians, there was no stopping them. 
and Hezekiah and the people locked in the city of Jerusalem, this looks really bad. And when you find yourself in life, and we do, don't we, where things look really bad, know that the enemy is going to come and he's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night and he's going to mess with your head and he's going to tell you, who is God? He can't help you. And, and who are you to listen to godly counsel? Listen to the pastor that's given Bible study and trying to encourage you. Who are you to listen to the word of God? God can't help at this time. And that's what was being said to Hezekiah. So it is told to Hezekiah that the Assyrians are there. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 19. And so it was when the king Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and he went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and the elders and the priests, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that Lord your God will hear all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom the, his master, the king of Israel, Assyria, that is, has sent to reproach the, the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. So Hezekiah gets the news. The Assyrians want to do us in. It doesn't look good. Hezekiah knows that it doesn't look good. And he begins to mourn. And so do the leaders. And, and Hezekiah, he likens the situation, as we read, to a woman getting ready to give birth, but she doesn't have the strength to do it. Now, in those days, those ancient times, if a woman didn't have strength to, to deliver the baby as she's in labor, that meant certain death. Death to the baby and death to the woman. Death is certain for all of us. We're going to be wiped out. You see, we can be faced with very difficult things, can't we? And news and situations and circumstances can, that can cause us to grieve and be in distress and be afraid. And what do we do in those times? I think chapter 19 shows us that we do what Hezekiah did. That he went to the house of the Lord and he gave this before the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord. And that's what we are to do as well. And I mention that because you might be sitting here thinking, well, of course, that's what we do. But what the tendency can be is when we are just overwhelmed and scared and in distress, and Lord, why? And I'm being just surrounded by this, and defeat is certain. What happens is, is we can give up spiritually. And it's that time that we need the Lord more than ever. And it's at that time that the enemy is going to tell you, to, to give up and surrender and bring discouragement and doubt, not wanting you to, to go to the Lord. He doesn't want you near the Lord. And people of the world will do that. And you hear the, the voice of Shennacherib saying to Hezekiah, who is this God that you think can deliver you? Who is this God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The familiar story of Daniel chapter 3. Who is this God that can deliver you from my burning, fiery furnace? You see, those three captives, those three young Hebrew men, they would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, who commanded everyone that when you hear the sounds of the music, you bow down to my idol. They said, we're not going to do that, king. And he got angry, and he ordered that the fire, the furnace, the, 
be turned up the heat seven times more than normal and they threw those three guys in and there's Nebuchadnezzar looking into the burning fiery furnace and he says how many guys did we throw in that furnace three king well I see four and the fourth looks like the son of God and when they came out they weren't burnt not a hair was singed they didn't smell like smoke the only things that were burned in the th- were the ropes that had them bound and they were having sweet fellowship with the Lord as I believe it was a theophany, appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, the fourth, the Son of God, is what Nebuchadnezzar says. Paul would say to the Philippian believers, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And I want to remind you that in those hot burning times, In those times where the Assyrians are surrounding you and it seems hopeless and it seems like how can God work that he does work and it's in those times that you go to him and the Bible says as Paul says in the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death that it's at those times that there can be a deep level of fellowship that you can have with the Lord And you're going to see that he shows up. And you're going to see that he's going to work as you go to him. Hezekiah knows that his only hope is the Lord. And the Lord wants us in our lives to understand something, just as Israel's going to understand in these last days. You see, Israel's going to be isolated because Paul would write in the book of Romans, that God cast away his people? Certainly not. God still has a plan for them. And one day their eyes are going to be open when the Lord comes back. And all of Israel will be saved at that time. But they're going to be saved by the Lord. They're going to realize that there is no hope. And they cry out to the Lord. We can't rely on the United States, other nations. We can't rely on our own strength. We're going down. And the Lord's going to show up. And when you feel like that you're alone and you're going down, the Lord's going to show up as you cry out to him. Will you cry out to him? Don't run away from him, but you cry out to him. So here we see that Hezekiah, he sends his leaders, go to Isaiah. Maybe, maybe that the Lord heard the words of the Rabshakeh and God will take offense to what he said and rise up and deliver us. Isaiah, pray for us. So verse 6, Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria had blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword of his own land. Isaiah gives words of encouragement and assurance to Hezekiah. Don't be afraid. God's going to deal with the Assyrians and deliver you, Hezekiah. You are not going to fall by the sword, but the king of Assyria is going to, and I'm going to deal with the Assyrians. Verse 7, then I'm going to send a spirit. If you have a King James, I believe it says a blast upon him. The rumor, he says he's going to hear. Well, that rumor is in the following verses. Verse 8, the Rabshaka returned and found the king of Assyria warning against Libna, and he heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Tarheka, king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So again, he sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, so here as time passes, the Rabshakeh returns to Libna, which is near Lachish, about 30 miles from Jerusalem. He finds the king of Assyria. He's putting down this revolt. So the Assyrians, 
they are putting down this revolt. They think that Hezekiah has tried to make an alliance with Egypt. And so it's not going to work. This alliance with Egypt, and of course, we discussed that, that the prophet Isaiah has already told Israel in chapter 20 of Isaiah, chapter 30, that you know, any alliance with Egypt is not going to work. And um, so here is Hezekiah. He may be thinking, okay, you know, the Assyrians have left for now. They're putting down this revolt. He may be thinking that he's heard a rumor. Then the king of Assyria is going to leave me alone and not bother me any longer. Then he's going to go back home and, and then be killed. And it's all going to be over. As the Egyptians, led by the king of Ethiopia, is advancing from the south. But all of a sudden, they're going to show up again in the next verse, the Assyrians. And Hezekiah sees the Assyrians once again surrounding Jerusalem. I mention that because sometimes we think, oh, Lord, you worked and the problem's gone. And all of a sudden, the problem comes back or another one. And the Lord is going to work in different ways because his ways are higher than our ways. But I want you to know that God is still working. And God is working in ways, in wonderful ways that we'd never even think of sometimes. And again, Hezekiah is going to see the mighty hand of God working. So we read in verse 10, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by saying, Jerusalem shall not be given to the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the lands by utterly destroying them, and ye shall be delivered. Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom the fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and uh, Rezep and the people of Eden who were in Talasar? And where is the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad and the king of the city of Sepharium and Hena and Iva? And Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Underline verse 14. What's your God going to be able to do? None of the other gods were able to help. And again, I want to remind you that in your time of distress and difficulty, people are going to come to you and say, what can God do? Why should you trust in him? What's he going to be able to do? But you do what verse 14 says that you go before the Lord and you give it to the Lord. You go to the Lord and you cry out to Him. And it was Jeremiah that would write to the captives that as you seek the Lord with all of your heart, He shall be found. When He cries out to you, He's going to hear you, just as He's going to hear Hezekiah. Hezekiah prayed, verse 15, to the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, and you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. You've made heaven and earth. And so he realizes that his God is big, that the Assyrian gods, he's going to go on and say that they're not real. They're just wood and stone. But Lord, you are real. You are big. You remember when we were looking in the book of Acts that it was the apostles standing before uh, the council, and the council was bullying them and saying, don't speak the name of Jesus. And and here is, you know, um, the apostles that uh, they said that you are God as, as they were worshiping the Lord after they were beaten. For you, Lord, that you are God, alone you are God, and worshiped him and praised him. They rejoiced that they were worthy enough to suffer for his name's sake. We're going to see in Stephen that he's going to be giving his address to the Sanhedrin Council, and he starts out by saying that we believe in a God who's the creator of heaven and earth. Our God created heaven and earth, and there's no problem too big that he can't 
help you or work in your situation. But always remember this, Christian, that God has eternity's values and views in mind and priorities. And if you can trust the Lord with your salvation, you can trust Him with your life. That whatever He allows to happen and whatever He is doing, that He is working for His glory and for the benefit of eternity, will you please always remember that? And we can trust Him with that and call out to Him and He hears us. So we continue reading verse 16. Incline your ear as he prays, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands. They're tough. They're wiping everybody out. And have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the works of men's hand, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. I love that phraseology. He says, Lord, show yourself strong, that the other nations may know that you alone are the Lord. Those Assyrian gods, they're made of wood and stone. They're no good. I know that, that you alone are God. But may they see through this time and trial and difficulty that you alone are the Lord. It's interesting because we know that in Psalm 83 that I discussed tonight, in Ezekiel 38, when God defends Israel, that they may know, those nations, may know that I am the Lord. But I want to bring it home closer to you and to me tonight. That in the trials and difficulties that you go through, as you watch the Lord work and as you trust in Him and as you are just looking to Him, I know that my prayer should be, Lord, that as people see you working in me, your peace, your joy, your promises, your strength, that they may know that you are the Lord and that it may be a witness to others. So here is Hezekiah gives it to the Lord, and Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, verse 20, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, because you have prayed to me against Shennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. And this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you and laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. So here is Isaiah. He, he responds, and God does hear when we humble ourselves and go to him, and then the word of the Lord against Shennacherib, and, and he uses poetic terms here, the, the Assyrians are fools to mock and come against Jerusalem and, and God's people, to mock the true and the living God. And he likens it to young girls who recognize this, and they're shaking their heads, you know, behind your back. It's, it's like a group of boys on the playground that they're goofing around, you know how boys are? and being rough and talking crude and all this, and the girls are standing off on the side and shaking their heads. Those dumb boys. It's kind of poetic terms of what Isaiah is saying, that you guys, you see the Assyrians, they're talking smack, they're, they're threatening, bullying you. Assyrians, you don't realize. You don't realize God's people are just going to laugh at you when God's through with you. Verse 22, whom you have reproached and blasphemed, against whom you have raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high against the Holy One of Israel. 
By your messengers you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down uh, its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forests. I have dug and, and drunk strange water, and with the soles of my feet I have dried up all the brooks of defense." And you did not hear long ago how I made it from the ancient times that I formed it. Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore, the inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as grass of the field and the green herbs and the grass in the housetops and grain blighted before it is grown. In verse 27, but I know your dwelling place. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle on your lips and I will turn you back by the way in which you came. The Assyrians, I've told you before in our study that they were so brutal they tortured people they skinned people alive and when they took the ten northern tribes off away captive you recall that we read that they put hooks in their mouths and drug them off and now the Lord is saying you Assyrians because you mock my people and you mock me I'm going to put hooks in your mouths and drag you off the same phraseology in Ezekiel chapter 38 the war of Gog and Magog that is yet to come that the massive army that's going to come from the north, the Lord says that I'm going to put a hook in your jaw and bring you down. Quite fascinating, isn't it? So the Lord is saying, you know, you're so prideful, you Assyrians, but I'm going to put my hooks in you and drag you off. We continue in verse 29. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and in the second year, what springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped at the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, will do this. The Lord gives his word to Judah, I'm going to prosper you. And I want us to be reminded once again, that whenever we go to the Lord and pray, and whenever we humble ourselves before Him, and whenever we stand on the word of the promise of God, you're going to prosper. Remember we saw what made Hezekiah a great king? That he's prospered in all his ways because he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He kept the commandments of the Lord. He was humble before the Lord. He was steadfast in the Lord. All those characteristics that we saw there in chapter 18. He was one that got rid of the places of temptation. He trusted the Lord with all of his heart. He held fast to him. He followed him. He did not serve the enemy. And he prospered in all that he did. And as we do that, and as we stand on the word of God and apply it to our lives and trust in him and humble ourselves before him, you will prosper in the best sense of the word in the way that God wants you to. And so we see that, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. And by the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Not even an arrow is going to be shot into this city. I'm going to defend this city for my sake and my servant David's 
because he's our strong tower, our refuge, our defender. I want you to be encouraged tonight when we go through trials and difficulties, when it seems like, Lord, house is going to work because I can't do anything, that we can get so focused on the circumstances. Can you imagine standing on the wall of Jerusalem and seeing 185,000 soldiers surrounding you, ready to destroy you? There's nothing that you can do. Hezekiah, as we know from Second Chronicles chapter 32, called for fasting, for praying. And he was going to the Lord and he was praying and fasting, looking to the Lord. It reminds me of another time that the children of Israel were backed up against a sea and two mountain ranges on both sides. And the Egyptian chariots were about ready to come down on top of them and and they cried out to Moses, Moses, look what you've done. Moses, wasn't there enough graves in Egypt for us to die there? We have to die out here in the wilderness? I mean, it looked really bad. There was no word that they could accept. There was nothing that they could do. And we see that, that Moses, he would stand up and he would say, don't be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. And there's a time where we can embrace in those times of difficulties. You see, they looked at the Egyptians and Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We need to lift our eyes a little higher and look to the Lord. What happens is we magnify the problem and that's easy to do. We get our eyes on it. When the Lord says, lift them, your eyes a little higher, get them on me and magnify me. Be still and know that I am God. And the same word given to Moses and the children of Israel, same word given to Hezekiah, don't be afraid, is the same word given to us. What is kind of interesting is he said that, the Lord will fight for you and shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. I always kind of looked at that and said, hmm, here's Moses. He's, he's standing, okay, you know, stand still and don't be afraid and see the salvation of the Lord and you're not going to see the Egyptians anymore and he's going to fight for you. And then I have a feeling he kind of snuck behind a rock and he's going, okay, Lord, this looks really bad. <laughs> What's going to happen here? <laughs> and the Lord's saying, quit crying to me. Get up, Moses. And lift up your staff, because I'm going to do something interesting. And you may be sitting there. That's easy for you to say, Pastor. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And when you go home, you're going to hunker down. And, Lord, how is this going to work? Cry out to him. But trust in him. You see, the Lord doesn't want us just to, to trust in him. He wants us to rest in him. Rest in his assurance, in his love and in his promises for you and for me. I know it can be hard and it can be scary when we face those times. And the Lord wants us to completely just come to him, especially when we're boxed in. We can't do anything. And you know what? We're going to find out that that's not a bad place to be because we're not alone and the Lord is there. And he will fight on our behalf. How he does it and the way that he does it I know that when we're all together in heaven, he's going to say righteous. We're going to say righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. You worked everything out perfectly. But it's in those times that we grow in our faith. It's what James says. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith. People say, I want a testimony. You know how you get a testimony? You get tested. 
That's how you get a testimony. You get tested in the trials. And yes, the Lord was good. A testimony isn't just, you know, I was this terrible person and I got saved. And yeah, that's part of a testimony. But a testimony is the Lord is good because I went through this trial and, and he was faithful to his word to me. And it was a testing of my faith, which then produces patience, that then produces completeness, that is maturity. The way to grow that the Bible seems to indicate is oftentimes through the trials. I think we can grow in the good times, certainly, but we really grow in the trials. Because there's the testing of your faith and patience, and then there's that maturity that happens because we see the faithfulness of God. And then as we finish tonight, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Can you imagine that? Looking out, one night this angel comes and wipes out 185,000 Assyrians. Just wiped them out. All these dead corpses out there, and just the sight of it and the smell of it would have been horrible. So Shennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishroch, uh, his god and the sons of Adremelech and the Shazrezer struck him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat. And then Eshar Hayden, his son, reigned in this place. God took care of it. He defended God's people, and he's with us. And he's going to work in your life. You watch, you wait, and you see. So God, we thank you for this encouraging chapter that we went through. That, Lord, in our times where we feel like the Assyrians are surrounding us, the news looks bad, um, it doesn't look good at all. That, Lord, that we can, Father, just, oh, Lord, cry out to you. And we thank you that you hear us. And Lord, I just pray tonight for anyone that is here that, that Lord, that they're in difficulty right now. Maybe circumstances are very hard or very difficult. Maybe a situation, maybe relationships, maybe financially, whatever it might be. That Lord, that you would just bring comfort and strength and Lord knowing that we can cry out to you may we get our eyes on you and just trust and rest in your love to be still and know that you are God and there's no situation that is too hard or too difficult to where you can't work and it comes by just Lord realizing who you are and your love for us And I thank you that you love us so much, that you are faithful. And Lord, that you are working in eternity's values and views, in eternity's perspective. And you promise to work all things out for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. Lord, as I see here, I I pray that we all know Jesus Christ. And if there is anyone who doesn't know him, that the Lord afterwards they would come and, and just hear that good news that you died for them and loved them and they can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord who hung on a cross for all of us and for our sins and rose from the grave and 
He's our salvation, that they would come and talk to me. The Lord, I thank you for those of us who are here, that we see the salvation of the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross and has defeated.